Hello, everyone. This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, September 20th of 2023. I'm your host, Jackie Sedley. Coming up on today's program, you'll hear about the Guns to Garden Tools Initiative, which recycles voluntarily surrendered firearms into things like garden spades and even jewelry. Then you'll hear an update on the Bureau of Land Management's revisions to oil and gas rules. After that, Chris Moore shares his weekly commentary, Make Them Hear You. And we'll wrap up with herbalist Brigitte Mars and her regular Wednesday feature, Naturally. A BBC News update and commentary from Jim Hightower at the bottom of the hour. Then coming up on today's Black Talk, you'll hear about the Museum of Boulder's new exhibit about Colorado's black history. At 9.30, it's the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up. But first, a look at the headlines with KGNU's Yvonne Olivas. The popular e-bike rebate program provided by the Denver Office of Climate Action, Sustainability, and Resiliency will reopen next Tuesday. Vouchers are expected to be claimed in just a few minutes after the rebate opens. Any Denver resident can apply for the standard voucher and, if chosen, will receive up to $300 for an e-bike or up to $500 towards a purchase of an e-cargo bike. Denver residents who make less than 60% of Colorado's median income can apply for the income-qualified rebate voucher and can receive up to $1,200 for the purchase of an e-bike or $1,400 for an e-cargo bike. The adaptive voucher is available for people with disabilities and grants up to $1,400 for an adaptive e-bike. The U.S. Department of Labor is investigating Star Farms in Brighton, Colorado, over accusations of poor working conditions and lack of payment. The farm employs 65 seasonal migrant workers for the packing of produce found in Kroger-owned grocery stores. Star Farms has been under investigation twice before, once in 2008 and again in 2015 for stealing employee wages. The 2008 investigation conducted by the U.S. Department of Labor proved Palombo had 191 violations of the Migrant and Seasonal Agriculture Worker Protection Act. Legislators will hear a plan crafted by the Air Quality Control Commission today that is meant to encourage Suncor and other big polluters to cut back on greenhouse pollution. The state air regulators propose corporations receive credits for reducing greenhouse emissions before 2030. They can then buy or sell those credits to other corporations after 2030. The plan has received backlash from activists and legislators for having too many loopholes. Senior analyst on the Environmental Defense Fund's state climate team, Katie Schneer, told the Denver Post that this credit plan will only encourage corporations to delay reducing their emissions. The 18 corporations argue against the plan, saying it could lead to a loss of jobs. The hearing will be held at 4.35 p.m. today, and the public can join over Zoom. The Denver Art Museum has returned five Asian artworks connected to a pair of former New York City gallery owners who'd been accused of trafficking illicit antiquities. Museum officials say they contacted federal authorities back in January with a list of pieces linked to a mother-daughter duo who operated a prominent gallery in Manhattan for decades. The artifacts were gifted to the museum between 1980 and 2008. They include three bronze Cambodian pieces from the 12th and 13th centuries, as well as relics from Burma and Tibet. 
The return comes as the Denver Art Museum faces a reckoning over its past collection habits, including shady dealers. The U.S. Department of Education awarded 353 schools around the nation with the National Blue Ribbon Schools Award. KG News Zach Thompson has more. The National Blue Ribbon Schools Award highlights a school's efforts and feats in closing the achievement gap between different groups of students. Four schools in Colorado: Cedar Ridge Middle School, Denison Elementary School, McClave Elementary School, and Parker Core Knowledge Charter School made it on the list. For KGNU, I'm Zach Thompson. The decline of cannabis sales in the state has caused Colorado schools to suffer, according to the Colorado Department of Revenue. In previous years, cannabis sales funded about forty million dollars for education. Taxes from cannabis provided thirty percent of the Building Excellence Schools Today or Best program's budget. Best is a program created to fund educational institutions. Executive Director of the Marijuana Industry Group Truman Bradley told Nine News that stricter marijuana regulations are the cause of lower sales. Recreational marijuana sales declined eleven point seven percent this year. The Colorado Department of Human Services launched a new program on September 15th that connects children who are unable to live with their biological parents with guardians whom they have an existing relationship with. The Colorado Connected Kinship Navigator program was piloted by several counties in the state from June 2020 to December 2021. It provides families participating in the kinship program with a navigator who is a direct point of contact and can provide support. Children will be arranged to live with relatives, family, friends, teachers, coaches, or neighbors in replacement of traditional foster homes. In today's weather, we're expecting mostly sunny skies across the Boulder and Denver areas. There's a 10% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 4 p.m., and winds could gust as high as 15 miles per hour. If you're in the northeast or north central Colorado, you may see some more intense weather patterns today. A hazardous weather outlook is in place. A few afternoon showers are possible across the northern foothills and Cheyenne Ridge through this evening. In Boulder, look for a high of 80 degrees, a high of 81 in Denver, 79 in Fort Collins, and 67 in Netherland. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Oliva. You are listening to the Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Jackie Sedley. Up first on today's show, Constance Holden is the co-chair of the Guns to Garden Tools Initiative at the Boulder Valley Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in Lafayette. They turn firearms into functional and aesthetic products. She spoke with KGNU's Benita Lee about a voluntary gun surrender event coming up in October. Here's what she had to say. How does the Guns to Garden Tools initiative work? Sure, this is actually a nationwide initiative that's taking place, but here in Colorado we have held six gun surrenders at various faith communities, and it is designed to be a, a welcoming and a safe environment in which people can bring in weapons that are in their home that they no longer want to own. How long has this initiative been in Colorado? This has been happening over the last couple of years. There was one at the community UCC church in the wake of the King Super shooting, 
and there have been two at the UCC Longmont Church. I have been to two of them down in the Metro Denver area. The process is really smooth, and it probably takes 15 minutes of time for the donor. And at each of these events, we've been bringing in around 50 weapons, and we kind of reward the people that surrender their weapons with King Super's gift cards, ranging from $50 for a a rifle, $150 for a handgun, and $250 for an assault-style weapon. And I understand that a lot of people don't want to give up their weapons. So can you tell me, of the people who are surrendering their weapons at these events, do you have a sense of why they want to do this? It's a really good question. We do know because we encourage the people who come to surrender their weapon to fill out a, a survey. It's an anonymous survey. But from that, we have learned that the largest group of people who bring weapons are widows, women whose husbands have had weapons and they want them out of the home. So it's primarily widows? Yes, but other people do too. Maybe they have teenagers, they don't feel safe having that weapon available. One of the reasons we're doing this is that we're hoping that by removing weapons from the home that suicides will be avoided. Certainly accidents and also even potential homicides. Probably not a mass shooter who's plotted a plan for weeks and weeks and has gone out and bought a shiny new weapon at a gun shop. But these are probably weapons that have just been around the home that are of concern or annoyance to families. We do know that the single largest group of people who use a gun to end their life are male senior citizens. This is a well-known data point, and a hope would be that that impulse act could be avoided if there just wasn't a weapon available. That's actually not a statistic that I was aware of. Do you have any idea why male senior citizens are more likely to commit suicide? Yes, we actually do have some ideas about that. Certainly, you know, as people age, there's loss. There's loss of bodily function. There's loss of family and friends who have died before them. Men are more likely to turn to a weapon, a gun, than to take pills or that sort of thing. And sadly, in our society, senior males are a demographic that's not likely to seek mental health care. What's the mood at these events, would you say? You know, I would actually say it's fairly festive. The people who are donating these weapons are generally pleased to get them out of their possession and out of their home and out of their life. Again, it's a voluntary thing. By the way, we also will be giving away gun locks Because we do ask people, um, in addition to this weapon that you're relinquishing, do you have other weapons in the home that you would like to have be more secure? So we do know that this may not be the only weapon that they have in their home. They may have others. And I understand you're looking for volunteers for the event? Yes. We only recruit volunteers online. We do place people to do the various and sundry tasks of that day. The donors stay in their automobile. And the weapons are in the trunk. So we need people to shepherd people through the parking lot. And then there's a safety station. And we do need people who are familiar with weapons and would know how to handle a weapon. We do discharge the weapon into a silent tube to make certain that there is no ammunition in the weapon. And then the final step in this process is we chop the weapon up. 
We actually dismantle and destroy it on site, and the donor um, can witness that if he or she wishes to. And then after that, a very skilled blacksmith and his team from Raw Tools, which is located in Colorado Springs, turns these weapons into garden tools. And they can be purchased on the rawtools.org website. So the weapons are dismantled on site, but then taken to Raw Tools in Colorado Springs? Yes. Does Raw Tools use volunteers as well? Yes, they do. And they actually have some apprentice blacksmiths. We also have asked um, a volunteer from Raw Tools to make some jewelry for us that we will sell later in the year at a church auction. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Just that, that this is an anonymous process. We do not ask the name of the donor. We make a practice of greeting the person at the car. We don't tend to even say our name to the individual because then they feel compelled to introduce themselves. So while we do wear a name tag with our first name and we're there to support them, on some occasions this is very emotional. It might be a weapon that was used to harm someone. It could just be sentimental. It was a, a weapon that meant a lot to a deceased person. There's a lot of emotion that can go with relinquishing a weapon. And so we also do have counseling staff, clergy available to people if they want to talk about this after they've done this. Thank you, Constance Holden, for taking the time to talk with me about the Guns to Gardens initiative. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here today. That was Constance Holden, co-chair of the Guns to Garden Tools Initiative at the Boulder Valley Unitarian Universalist Fellowship Church. The voluntary gun surrender event will be on October 14th from 12 to 2 p.m. at the church's parking lot at 1241 Saris Drive in Lafayette. Up next, the Bureau of Land Management is in the process of revising its oil and gas rule. While the rule addresses many long-overdue reforms, one Colorado organization, environmental organization, is concerned about, quote, sacrifice zones that target the North Fork Valley and Grand Mesa for potential oil and gas production. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Lisa Young has more. Colorado environmental groups are applauding the latest public lands plan by the Bureau of Land Management, saying it's greener and more environmentally friendly. The plan will protect some areas on the western slope while elevating conservation and recreation with the net effect of slowing down oil and gas production in the region. The oil and gas industry is pushing back, saying environmentalists are looking to raise the cost of production and drive the industry out of federal lands. However, BLM's proposed oil and gas rule could still play some regions in the crosshairs for potential new oil and gas leasing. Nearby in the upper North Fork Valley, which has been protected for over a decade, is facing a new threat. And to the dismay of many, some portions of Grand Mesa are now listed on BLM's high development potential area for oil and gas development. Citizens for a Healthy Community Executive Director Natasha Leger says if adopted, the proposed rule would likely move the BLM away from low to moderate development zones and turn to areas designated as high development zones, putting a target on the North Fork Valley and Grand Mesa. 
And so we're really concerned that areas like the North Fork are going to wind up being sacrificed so that you can have broader conservation in other areas where there's low and moderate potential. And so we think that, you know, conservation is important, but conservation should not be at the expense of creating sacrifice zones. Leger is pushing for the BLM to develop specific denial criteria that addresses climate change and provides a clear guideline for denying fossil fuel extraction, primarily in climate hotspots. A way to look at that is to say lands that have already warmed 1.5 degrees Celsius or more are not eligible for leasing. And so that's a ve- that's very clear. So they can still have the preference criteria, but you have something that's very clear that says these lands are not appropriate for, for leasing and development. Delta County has already warmed 2.1 degrees Celsius, while the Uncompagre Field Office for the BLM has warmed 1.9 degrees Celsius, which is nearly 4 degrees Fahrenheit. Beyond the need to protect climate hotspots, Leger says oil and gas production poses environmental threats to local watersheds, as well as the already drought-stricken Colorado River. There are chemicals in, and radioactive material in the flowback that comes back up, and so that would contaminate irrigation water and, and drinking water and contaminate the soils. And, you know, th- these, these headwaters are the source of our agricultural growth. It's what our wildlife relies on. It's what the ecosystem relies on. So it creates a multiplier effect for what the environmental and ecological damage could be. Leger is calling on concerned citizens to go to Citizens for a Healthy Communities website to sign an online letter addressing a number of environmental concerns regarding the proposed BLM oil and gas rule. Citizens are encouraged to comment by Thursday, September 21st, since the BLM's deadline for public comment is Friday, September 22nd. For KVNF, I'm Lisa Young. Make them hear you. This is Make Them Hear You with ideas on how you can have your voice heard before Congress. Republicans complained loudly that the American Rescue Plan of 2021 included a laundry list of liberal agenda spending items. Indeed, there was some waste in the bills that were passed, but certainly not all the money was ill-spent. The child tax credit in the 2021 bill temporarily gave families the money they needed to lift millions of children out of poverty. A group of federal lawmakers who have championed the expansion of the child tax credit are once again pushing for action after new census data showed that childhood poverty more than doubled across the country last year. And in fact, many conservatives oppose the web of bureaucracy and its inefficiencies more than they oppose a minimum guaranteed income. Utah Senator Mike Lee said at the Heritage Foundation, quote, there's no reason the federal government should maintain 79 different means-tested programs. In 1962, the libertarian economist Milton Friedman advocated a minimum guaranteed income via a negative income tax. The child tax credit was a dramatic example of the just-give-people-money philosophy, and it successfully reduced childhood poverty by 50%. Biden and other Democrats, like Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, are working hard to extend or make permanent this tax credit through the American Family Act. The Census Bureau revealed that childhood poverty rate rose from 5.2% to 12.5% between 2021 and 2022, following the expiration of that child tax credit. It allowed low-income families, including those with no income at all, to claim up to $3,600 for each child up to age 6, 
and up to $3,000 per child ages 6 to 17. According to Bennett, when Congress gave families this extra support, they used the money they received on their kids. At a recent press conference, Bennett said, quote, We know that the policy worked the way we said it was going to work. There were a lot of doubters about that when we passed this bill to begin with. Now we know that's not true. 30 million children benefited from this. We cut childhood poverty in the United States of America in half. 90% of the kids in Colorado and across the country benefited from this. According to the Colorado Children's Campaign, as of November 2022, after the temporary tax credit expired, 44% of Colorado households with children had difficulty paying for necessities like food and medicine. Quote, the benefits to America are extraordinary. The idea that the richest country in the world wouldn't want to end childhood poverty for its own sake defies my imagination. I do not understand it, close quote. Some House Republicans actually support some kind of extended child tax credit. If you have thoughts on extending the child tax credit through the American Family Act, you can contact your senators and congressperson. This is Chris Moore with Make Them Hear You. Greetings. Welcome to Naturally. You know, I encounter a lot of people who are told that they're anemic and they're blood deficient. And of course, you can get a blood test. But, you know, just have a look at your fingernails. If your fingernails, and this is true for people of all colors, uh, the fingernails should be a nice, healthy pink color. If they're really pale, that could be a sign of blood deficiency. You can also like pull the lower eyelid down. And if it's pale white in there, that could be another sign. All right. So, you know, there's all this talk about we need more iron, but like iron supplements can be very constipating. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so that's not going to help. So things that we can do to help improve iron assimilation. Well, you know, a lot of people choose not to eat red meat or not to eat red meat very much. But there is iron in other foods. There's iron in uh, things like beans, in nuts, in green leafy vegetables like kale. So there's many allies out there that do have iron in them. And one of my favorites, I guess what, is nettle tea. But don't just make like a five-minute steep of nettles. The way to really get the maximum amount of nutrients from nettles is to make an overnight nettles infusion. And you do this by taking a half gallon jar, filling it, um, maybe adding an ounce of dried nettles, and then filling it to the top with boiling water, then put the lid on and let it sit overnight. So this alchemical process of extracting all the minerals and no oxygen getting in and no oxygen escaping, that's powerful. I love that. There's also some folklore about can you cook your food in a cast iron pan? You know, I saw an episode on Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, and what they did in the olden days is they put an iron nail inside an apple and then they removed the nail but then ate the apple. Hmm. Maybe they were onto something. You know, kind of sounds like the cook your food in cast iron. But we do know that iron is best assimilated in the presence of vitamin C. And there is a wonderful product out there called Blood Builder. Okay? It's got vitamin C in it. And, uh, you know, taking the two together might be a beneficial thing. There's also an herb called Yellow Dock, which improves the assimilation of iron. Yellow Dock. Okay. And... Um, I also want to give a big shout out to Beats. I feel like I'm on Sesame Street. 
<laughs> Let's have a shout out to beets. You know, beets are amazing. And I love to make borscht. Whenever my daughters, when they were living at home at that age, and they would have their moon cycles, I would make borscht, which is sort of a Russian peasant soup made with beets. And of course, you know, I'm really into color. So I'm going to make it with purple potatoes and purple cabbage and the vibrancy of that color. Yeah, it looks kind of like blood. Yeah. All right, so we got nettles, we got yellow dock, we got beets, we've got greens. There are things we can do. It doesn't mean you have to like give up being vegetarian if that's what works for you. And, you know, I also tell people sometimes you have to try different diets at different times of your life. Try the blood builder. You can do it. But if you're going to take an iron supplement, um, it really should be an assimilatable form, like a chelate, a uh, you know, I think a chelate is a good one. It means that the minerals are bonded to an amino acid, which helps to transport it into the cells. I would be careful of ones that are just like iron. Otherwise, you might be looking for uh, stomach stuff going on. Not going to be helpful. We want to feel great, right? That's why we support KGNU and listen to Naturally. Thank you so much for joining me, Brigitte Mars, on Naturally. for joining us on today's Morning Magazine. Thanks to Alexis Kenyon, Ivana Olivas, Zach Thompson, Benita Lee, Brigitte Mars, and Chris Moore for their work on today's program. Stay tuned for the latest commentary from Jim Hightower and then Black Talk, focusing on a new exhibit in Boulder about Black history. Once again, thanks for listening. I'm Jackie Sedley with KGNU. That is all coming up after these headlines from the BBC. Thank you.